We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week, we'll be discussing esports journalism. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as all of the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Mitch Reams. Mitch is a sports and esports journalist and industry podcast host. Mitch has been involved in sports and esports for many years and has published articles for Adweek, Sports Techie, Dexterito, and National Football Post. He also hosts the Esports Minute, which is a daily show that highlights each day's hottest esports stories and is part of the Esports Network podcast. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Justin. I'm excited to be here. Glad to have you. I know you're out in Vegas enjoying, enjoying yourself in this quarantine world, and, you know, onward we go. Just thankful I have a deck and can get some sunshine during the day. Yes, I have a little balcony so I can walk out for, you know, a couple moments at a time and have a, have a fresh a br- fresh air. So, yeah, to, you know, briefly introduce the topic, we're now exploring esports journalism. So similar to other areas of public interest, esports and competitive gaming has its own press and media circuit. Some are independently created ones, and some are actually part of larger entertainment entities. You know, ESPN has their own arm, and the Washington Post created The Launcher, which is their own dedicated, you know, gaming publication. And some of these press outlets, you know, are game-specific, where they may only cover CSGO or Call of Duty or Overwatch. 
And then others cover all games, you know, all different competitive genre. And generally these sites and outlets post, you know, current news stories, including, you know, sponsorship deals, what players are signed, what players are dropped, trade rumors, and, you know, competition recaps and previews, kind of giving you insight on how a certain match or tournament went down. Additionally, there's a lot of personality featured contests, you know, usually in the form of podcasts, which are, you know, these unique content creations that feature esports pros for fans and, you know, has really become a growing trend. And as you see by our show, we're part of that world. Um, so now we know a bit more about, you know, the esports media world. Mitch, tell us a bit about your previous esports and sports experience. Sure. So I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster, went to school for it, studying broadcast journalism. And my senior year, I realized that nobody was paying any attention to this esports thing. And it was set to be a pretty massive deal. So I took my sports experience, brought it over to Sport Techie, who you mentioned. That was my first company I really worked for. I was like, hey, I can write about esports from a sports lens so explaining esports to the sports fan and that's kind of how i got my start there i talked to some people like andy miller who owns the kings he also owns nrg talked to jared jeffries who's a former nba player was working for now defunct echo fox at the time i talked to him and it was a really interesting experience just coming from the sports world coming over to esports and since then the two worlds have really started overlapping a whole lot more. A ton of the ownership groups have backgrounds in sports. Uh, as athletes aren't playing right now, they're playing a lot of video games and we're seeing these different tournaments pop up from athletes and a gaming perspective. So that's really been my niche for the last three years or so. And I've worked on some pure sports stories, pure sports publications like the National Football Post. And I've also worked on some purely esports companies like Dexerto that just covers the streaming and esports world. So I've really touched uh, both camps during my three years as a journalist. So what are you currently working on now? Now I'm splitting my time between the Esports Minute and the Esports Network podcast, where I bring on a bunch of industry experts. We've done almost 90 episodes of that show over the last year, just celebrate our one year anniversary. I almost at that big 100. Exactly. Getting very close, getting very close to that. And I've done 200 episodes of the Esports Minute, which is a 90 second daily news hit covering the biggest esports story of the day. For instance, today was the NBA 2K League tournament uh-huh. that just was announced with players only and a little bit on iRacing and NASCAR esports. So if you like that kind of content, you can check out the Esports Minute and the Esports Podcast. Uh, and then on the writing side, I'm writing mostly for Adweek about marketing brands and esports and sports brands and really what they're doing during this weird time. And for those who don't know, Adweek is, you know, a very respective, you know, publication, especially in the marketing and branding space. So, you know, it's very nice to see them really embracing, you know, esports and professional gaming and kind of all of the marketing and unique things that are happening over there. It was, so what's your... Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. So I was just going to say Adweek's awesome. And it's why I've been encouraging a lot of young journalists to focus in on esports because it gives you opportunities. Like I mentioned, Adweek's a very established publication and there's very few 24 year olds working for Adweek. In fact, I don't think there's any. And so uh, this is true for a lot of mainstream pubs is esports is a way to, to get into the media world and get in early by doing something that nobody on their staff knows how to do. And that's right about video games and the video game world. 
So, you know, there's, there's a tip of advice, you know, we see that ESPN and, you know, Yahoo sports and some of these other big publications have started to integrate and have dedicated reporters. And, you know, it's definitely a new field that's emerging and there's definitely a lot of space for people to get involved in it. So what's your day to day like, you know, being a freelance reporter? Varies a lot. It's really interesting. It's a good question. Like, it depends on sometimes I'm doing a lot of interviews and I'm compiling stories. Sometimes I'm just pulling my hair out over writing a story. Sometimes I've got like three podcasts in one day. So it's, it's tough for sure. Like scheduling each individual day out and figuring out, you know, this is what I need to be doing now because there isn't really a set structure or routine you could fall into because it just varies so much day to day. Okay, cool. So what's your favorite part of the job? definitely love podcasts and writing stories is fun it's where i've got a lot of work and i've done some really cool stories but uh, i think it's my background in broadcast something about just talking and having a free-flowing conversation with somebody who really knows what they're talking about is just really fun to me and so i i really enjoy you know when i get to talk to an expert and we just i get to learn a lot from them and you know i've done shows with you and i've learned a lot about the legal side of esports and so it's always fun when I get a, you know, really tap into somebody's knowledge base. And I feel like I come away from those discussions with more knowledge than I had going in. Yeah. I mean, I definitely kind of feel the same way when, whenever I these episodes, I always come away learning something new or having a different perspective on a certain situation. And you know, I think that is a really unique facet of the live conversation where, you know, you can write an article and, you know, you, that's it. Like, you know, you, there's comments and people can, you know, say, oh, you're wrong, whatever it is. But there's not really kind of an instant back and forth. You don't get that instant feedback. Whereas, you know, some of these other media outlets, such as podcasts and, you know, VODs, you can actually see the conversation develop a little bit more and, you know, really kind of have responses and really flesh out an issue in a bit more detail. So what would you say the hardest part of the job is? Uh, I'd say probably finding places to pick up your content and making sure one of the, the cool things about esports is there's not a lot of competition in it. There's not a lot of people doing this for mainstream pubs, but it's also not their highest priority. So figuring out where what stories you can tell and where you can tell them is probably the most difficult part because ultimately you need to get paid in this industry. And there's not always a ton of money in esports journalism. It fluctuates a decent amount. So it's all about, you know, what can I do? What is the right mix of things that I want to do and things that will also pay me and make sure that I can pay my bills? And so that's the most difficult part is really juggling that and uh, positioning yourself for success because there's so much you could be doing. It's like, where do I pitch? What do I focus on? What do I spend my time on? It's tough to figure out, you know, what the absolute best thing for you to be doing is at any one time. That makes sense. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a bracket-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary and what they're calling the final dance. 
Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. And now, let's get back to the next topic. So what are some similarities that you've kind of seen between you know sports and esports reporting? actually quite a few similarities in fact i think that's one of the misconceptions about esports reporting is that it's drastically different in reality to me there's all the same things you do in sports you can do in esports telling the stories of players telling uh doing power rankings doing match recaps doing uh in-depth feature pieces there's a lot of stories to be told the one thing about esports that i love about it is there's more things that haven't been told When you get into sports, there's so many people just telling every single sports story that finding something different is incredibly difficult. Whereas in esports, there's opportunity. You can go to any one team and none of their backstories have probably ever been told. If you went to, say, the Portland Trailblazers, for example, people have beaten Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and all the Blazers players. They've told their stories. They understand it. They're hosting podcasts. In esports, you can go to a team and they probably have never had their story told. And so it's really exciting to be able to actually find the stories. And then on the business side, there's so many brands entering esports. There's so many crazy things, leagues popping up and folding, massive scandals, teams falling down. It's you get in one year in esports coverage, you get what like you get in 10 years in traditional sports just because there's so much shit happening at any time. Apologies. Can I swear on this podcast? Yep. You know, cool. I'll try not to. I'll try not to. But yeah, there's a lot of shit happening. <laughs> Goddamn shit happening. But yeah, so I mean, I definitely kind of see, you know, what you're saying. You know, another guest had mentioned this, like, you know, the entertainment industry I see is like a 24-7 gig. Esports is like a 28-8 or, you know, there's more hours and more days of the week than, you know, esports happening. Things just kind of really change on a dime. And, you know, what was one day is not the next day and definitely probably isn't a month later. All the sports have just fallen into a routine over, you know, decades upon decades of existence. The NBA's figured out its schedule. And now, you know, COVID-19 notwithstanding, esports is trying new shit all the time. Take February, for example, before COVID-19 happened, which is just a normal month in esports. You had two new CSGO leagues pop up that had new structures. And CSGO is one of the biggest esports in the world. This is like football. It's like the NFL having a competitor league that took away the Seahawks, the Niners, and the Cardinals, and they started their own league to compete against the NFL. And that's what happened in the CSGO world in February, along with Activision Blizzard trying to move to a regionalized structure where they're playing all their games at different stadiums. So this never happened before. And that was in one month. It's these kind of crazy levels of changes because esports is still trying to figure out what it is and sports already has. So from a journalism perspective, there's so much cool stuff to tell because there's just crazy shit happening all the time. Right. It's like one day someone says something on the stream and like, it's over for them. And it's like, it happens instantly all the time. Yeah. That's a whole nother can of worms. Like these esports players need to be media trained and they aren't at all. And they're just sitting on stream, just saying things they absolutely should not be saying. And I feel for that because they're usually like 19 years old and they're just sitting in their room. Like if you had athletes used to just playing games all day, like they're not used to like being out on behalf of brands and team owners and, you know, this whole world that, you know, us professionals 
this is what we do. Athletes slip up and they only have like hour in front of a maximum game day court and press conference over esports players are constantly the, the lens is always on them streaming and it's all remarkable we see more of those stories of people just saying really horrible interesting so what are some of the differences that you kind of see between these you know sports and esports for instance esports needs to figure out journalism access i honestly think riot games is doing a pretty good job and the their global head of communications came from the sports world david higdon and he's really made sure it runs more like the sports world i was shocked the first time i went to a call of duty match because my storyline revolved around these couple players who had just signed a new brand deal coming in i was writing for ad week and i was like okay i need to go talk to them and the pr rep said oh no i lost so they're not in a good mood right now i was like i don't care i don't care at all i you give me the player i flew out here to go cover this losing team needs to talk to the press and so it felt like there was this weird level of like whoa you're giving access right, like, like we feel yeah. bad for them yeah we feel bad for them or they're they don't want to talk and i'm like well it doesn't it shouldn't matter they're playing in your league in your tournament talking to the press should be a requirement of them mm-hmm. and it wasn't and that's slowly changing again riot's doing a good job of it in a lot of cases yeah there, there's just no access to the players or they're scared with their when they talk to the press but then they go stream seven hours so it doesn't make a ton of sense in like access wise that's the that's the main difference there's stories to be told they're just apprehensive about telling them and they don't understand how to talk to the media and what do you think that's from just like inexperience or, you know, just not wanting to because they're just interested in just playing? Much. I, I don't know why necessarily that would be, but one of it's definitely experience. Second is they're not media trained and third, they don't see the value. And I think a lot of places it's pretty widely agreed upon that good is good for brands teams leagues what have you and in esports that is less impactful they just aren't as willing to give up players and have them talk to the media you never see players like offered and when they are they they don't know how to answer a question so i think a lot of it really just comes down to media training and like the value of the media for building up fans and stuff like that I mean, that's definitely something I've been hearing from, you know, a lot of people from the organization side and the reporting side that, you know, they wish that more teams would get media training and would really focus on this because the overall impact it'll have on your brand, you know, from interacting with the press to how you look on stream, how you interact on stream, how you are in content on behalf of brands and appearances on behalf of them. Like, it'll just elevate everything, which in turn will benefit you as a team because more teams and more you know, more brands are going to want to associate with a team who, you know, really grooms their guys to be professionals. And at the end of the day, you're putting your logo on a jersey so they get streaming, you know, they get FaceTime. So it gets taken in pictures on cover stories of ESPN so that every publication tweets out an image of them with their HyperX headset and their big logo. Like this is where most of the money comes from. And pretty much your ambassadors, you know, your endorsers, pretty much your public facing apparatus are the players 
So if they're not out there with their Gatorade or Monster Energy in front of them doing a press conference, you know, your opportunities are really limited and you're losing out. Where, like you said, you have 10 different publications who flew in to cover something. Every one of them should have some clip or interview or picture with your player in his jersey, you know, holding his energy drink. Like, this is what this is about. Exactly. And it's why the biggest stars in esports aren't players, they're streamers. Yeah, you exactly. Because, yeah, you look at people like Ninja, yeah, like, you look at uh, Tim the Tapman, Dr. Lupo, Courage. Dr. These players Disrespect. are like Dr. Disrespect. These are the players on commercials. These are the players doing like the massive individual brand deals. And they don't, you know, they play competitive video games, but they're not competing for a team. I mean, they tried for a while there, but. He didn't qual- won like one tournament and then he didn't well, win. Yeah, they're the just not as good. Like, I've yeah, had streamers. He's a streamer. Like, yeah, like you're entertaining. Like you're an entertainer, but you know what? Forbes has you making $12 million last year. So, you know, whether you're a pro gamer, whether you're a streamer, whether you're an influencer, whatever we call you, you know, the money is what matters at the end of the day, especially when you're trying to make a career out of this. And that's that's one of the big differences between sports and esports, to your point there, is that it's, you know, being a pro athlete's the pinnacle. That's what you want to reach. You want to be the, the quarterback. You want to be on the, the field, on the NBA board. But in esports, a lot of the professional players who are playing, say, competitive Call of Duty, for example, would rather be one of the major streamers because it's more lucrative. It's more brand exposure. And- easier to do and so it's a long reason why a lot of players retire from professional play at the age of like 22 23 because hey i can go be a streamer i can go be shroud i can go be summit 1g and make a shit ton more money doing that than i would grinding out additive csgo for example yeah and then flying all over the country to play in these tournaments and you know boot camps and kind of this intense play where it doesn't even become a fun game anymore like streamers okay i'm gonna play video games for 10 hours talk to my fans and you know put on crazy hats and play music and you know like whatever i want to do and you know if you're doing it right and engaging and people like you you know you can really create a nice income stream from it it's and you can't change what game you want to play if you're a streamer yeah streamers are pushed into playing some bigger titles for sure but ninja wants to go play warzone for a while and play call of duty he can do that it's not no one's stopping him besides his viewers might drop and if you're playing competitive play like right now overwatch players are getting skewered because they're like valorant want to play overwatch anymore yeah they're they're like participating in right event they're like i don't know shit screw overwatch i want to go Valorant, and it's like that's danger for esports to be able for people to just be like, oh, I'm gonna leave Overwatch, the Overwatch League, which is a massive league that people invested tens of millions of dollars into teams. And they're like, well, but Valorant looks cool. I want to go play that, right? And if you have the right people going and the right streamer streaming it, like it's kind of like a chain reaction. It's it it can be it, it to to the point of esports and how quickly it changes like overwatch league might be in a really tough spot and might be falling right now people think it's too big to fail but you go through the timeline of that in three years it went from being the most anticipated esport ever to having these massive buy-ins like double what teams are paying to be in leagues which is 
the more popular esport to now it's possibly in danger of completely closing and that's in three years like yeah, the, i haven't heard about any new teams coming in that's for sure oh, you're not going to I promise you, there is so much animosity behind the scenes right now because people are like, holy... Like, it was all in on the homestand weekends. This... Mm -hmm. And selling this out these events. Like show, this was going to prove the model to everyone. Yeah, like, thousands of people are going to come out. Like, I know I was talking with the Anbox people about, you know, their New York homestand, and this was maybe, I guess, a month or two out from it. They're like, yeah, you know, we're almost 60 or 70% sold out, and, like, you know, we figure that as it gets closer, we'll get the rest, and, like... You know, that would have been amazing for them to pack out Hammerstein Ballroom and for it to be like an event in New York, you know, where like not only all the gamers are there, but like people that actually matter from the scene are there. If you could sell out a venue, your game has staying power. And Overwatch could do that. Now, the venues weren't that huge. And I don't think Minnesota, the opening weekend, I don't think it sold out. They wouldn't tell me that it I was like, did it sell out? And they're like, it was packed. I was like, did, but did it? <laughs> Did it sell out? Yeah, but like, could I have bought a ticket? <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, like, was there literally no more space or was it packed? <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, they, they were all in on it. And if, they, if they'd done that well, they would have been in a good spot. Now, I still think the valuations were just absurd. The, the $30 million for a team is just crazy. But they it would have had you know some popularity it has fans it has people who are willing to come out to watch live esports but yeah now it's in a really tough spot yeah because the live angle the live gameplay isn't going to make up for that lost experience i think that's what you know even coming from the brand side as i'm sure you can comment on is you were looking at doing these great activations you know these fan festival like that's kind of the way i thought it was going to be like almost like a fan festival, like celebrating the league and your sponsors and, you know, cosplay and everyone in jerseys and just free swag, you know, like throwing towels out to the crowd. Like, like I expected it was going to be like a cultural kind of festival. And, you know, that was the goal. Yeah. And, and I actually thought it was probably going to be that just based on, you know, the feedback that I was getting, but now you're not even going to have that opportunity. And, you know, a year from now or whatever it is when when the season restarts and the home stands are supposed to happen again, like what is gonna happen in this time frame that's gonna keep the momentum up? They're not happening anymore. They announced this morning that it's all online for the rest of the year. Yeah, but I'm saying like, okay, let's say next year, like, you know, when yeah. the next Overwatch season happens. Yeah, like you said, they're they're gonna finish online and that's what everyone is doing. But, you know, season you know, the next season you presume that they're gonna do home stands again. And we've got to see what the effect of this has on, you know, going forward. I will, we'll see how it, how it manifests. Like I said, it's a little too big to fail and like they can't, they would alienate all these different investors if the league totally collapsed under itself, but it's in a really tough spot and it's already having financial issues. Like with Monte Cristo, who's a, fairly well-known caster came from league of legends been on really the public face of overwatch for the last two years not with the the team anymore as of uh december and was like they didn't they weren't able to pay us they just didn't have the money for it and so you could tell that they were already having like dude's got like eight hundred thousand followers and was the public face of overwatch if you can't pay him it's a problem for the league and the financials behind the league because they had so much money invested into it so now it's really going to be interesting to see if it can 
kick back up and restart, even when it was just basically kicked in the nuts by COVID-19. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just the caveat, all, you know, the buy-in are not, were not due at once. Like most of these teams are to kind of structure the payments over several years. But, you know, to your point, there definitely is, you know, income that they maybe thought might have been there that, you know, isn't there. We don't know what happened with the Twitch deal and, you know, other things that might extend out additional years. But you definitely have some interesting things to see what the future of that game is. And then, you know, there's always Overwatch 2 on the horizon. So, you know, I feel like that is another factor that may come into play at some point. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely definitely a tough situation for them, for sure. And then Overwatch 2, I feel like it's just kind of a cash grab, to be to be honest with you, where it's like we want to be able to make sure other like our hardcore fans have something else to pay for but they're still gonna be able to compete everybody can still play overwatch you don't have to buy overwatch 2 to to you to play competitive overwatch it's just gonna be like an injection of cash hopefully but it seemed a little desperate to me (laughs) well you know i mean i I always know that you know with starcraft and always they always had these expansion kind of packs to just add on additional Mm -hmm. characters and additional things to do so you know, that might be in the line of the Blizzard motto. But yeah, you know, you know it's, it's, what were you saying? Sorry, you cut out on me, so I thought you stopped talking. But uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're totally right. It's a model that everybody else has used for sure, but it's usually something you see more when esports are on decline. Interesting. Okay, so, you know, let's shift gears a little bit. So back to kind of your reporting. So how do you handle, you know, an individual or, you know, someone in the Reddit world kind of criticizing your article or, you know, an opinion or something that you wrote? Look at Reddit. No, that's you it? just block yeah. it out. Yeah, when I was when I was first in the scene, that, that's not a very helpful response. So when I was first in the scene, I'd, I'd post some articles to Reddit or I'd see my articles posted. And I'd always read the comments and be like, oh, they didn't like it. But ultimately, it's futile. If somebody who matters in the scene. If somebody who's been around, who's, you know, who's respected and does stuff, then all, and they have a problem with my article, then I'll listen to it and I'll, I'll have a discussion with them. But if it's random Reddit comment, random Twitter person, I don't care. It's not worth your time to, to care about them. And they usually have no idea what they're talking about anyway. So it's sometimes hard to let it wash off your back, but Anytime you get into an argument with somebody and a random commenter, you've already lost. Right. It's like, don't feed the trolls because that's what they're looking for. There, there's nothing good that comes out of like, I, it's good to read them be like, sometimes, you know, people have pointed out, uh, for example, I, I mix up scissors and cloaksy in one thing. And a commenter was like, Hey, I think you mixed this up. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, if it's a real, like, Hey, you made a mistake here then absolutely, I'm happy to correct it. But if it's somebody being like, oh, this is whatever. You're wrong. <laughs> Who knows? What? There's no way this guy is going to do this. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just it's just best to ignore the random commenters. But yeah, again, if somebody's respectful and they have, hey, this this is wrong. It's like, oh, oh I'm my bad. I'll fix that. And that's happened to me in the past. And it's I appreciate it when people correct me on articles because I don't want to be wrong about anything. Yeah, I feel that. So I know that you've been hosting a podcast. So how do you kind of prepare for an upcoming one? 
It's a good question. It kind of varies depending on who I'm talking to for sure. But uh, a lot of it, I'm, I'm usually trying to like skip over the, the surface level stuff. So it's like, okay, here's their website. Here's what they do. But what have they, what have people not talked to them about? And I get some cues from hot ones. I don't know if you've ever seen the show. It's a complex show. And I think then they basically bring on celebrities and they interview them as they eat really spicy wings. Mm-hmm, yeah. But while that's kind of like the gimmick of it, the real meat of the show is like the guy asked really good questions. Sean Evans is his name. And so I've been trying to find, you know, it's like, hey, can you go back and can you find something that's interesting that this person hasn't been asked about? Because usually they're on a press run if they're on a podcast. They've talked to multiple media outlets. You don't want to be asking the same questions they've always asked. You want to be able to ask them something they haven't. So I always try and come into every new episode with like at least one Oh, I didn't think you were going to ask about that. And that's that's about it. And then you just try and have variety of things. But I also try to keep it pretty broad and then go off what they said. So trying to to have a free-flowing conversation with them more so than just being like, hey, what's this? And then letting them go. Because if you give the reins to the guests, they'll just go off like I'm doing probably now. No, I mean, it's nice. Like, you know, I've definitely had situations where kind of like, okay, like, let me jump in, you know, let me throw a follow up in there. But, you know, I think that it's just, it's nice when someone is also kind of knee deep in a great response and just goes for it. I definitely, it's a balance, right? If you're, if your guest is just like, here's two sentences, that's also boring. But then if they go on for five minutes, it's like, Every wow, time. what what are you doing? Yeah. It's a balance. Okay. So, you know, I know we kind of spoke about them earlier, but, you know, what are some hurdles that you've been encountering in esports reporting so far? Access is a big one. Lack of media training is another big one. Let's find something. Uh, I think it's a lot of publications. Uh, so, you, you mentioned at the top, like, there's two types of esports pubs, and it's basically the ones that are backed by a bigger company. And the independently sourced ones, and there's very few good independently sourced esports pubs. So, like Dexerto and Esports Insider are like the two independent esports pubs and esports network. Shout out to Esports Network. Uh, that's my gotta <laughs> gotta shout out my own my own company. But even them, they're backed usually by funds or by other companies for esports network for example is backed by a company called conservico and so there's not always a ton of money in esports journalism and it's hard to monetize dexerto has done the absolute best job of monetizing a purely esports content website in fact they're the only people i think that are really consistently profitable in the space and there ones ESPN Esports is backed by ESPN, obviously. Sport mm-hmm. Esports Observer is backed by Sports Business Journal. Uh, Launcher is backed by Washington Post. They're backed by these legacy institutions, and the gaming content they do is a small section of what the website or the publication actually does as a whole. And so for esports, there's a lot of times you'll get startups and they'll have money and they won't have runway. And so there you see a lot of fluctuation with, oh, okay this place was paying well but now is cutting rates consistently and it's tough out there to figure out where the right publication is and that's why i like those legacy ones that are attached to attached to a bigger uh mothership basically because it gives you more stability as a writer 
Yeah, I mean, I think that especially with what's going on now, if you just look at you know NBC and all these big news networks, they're all reporting on kind of what's going on, and you know they don't have the what happened with the Yankees and the Mets and the Rangers segment today because they're not playing. You know, so I think that companies, especially ones that are from the traditional media world, may start looking for ways to kind of supplement some of their you know content by looking for people like you and others who are in the content world out there actively piecing together these unique articles. And, you know, I really hope that that's the trend because, you know, as you mentioned, the hardest part is kind of getting a budget and especially in, you know, the paywall free world that most websites and news outlets are in, you can get the same news story from 20 different places. And most of the time you don't have to pay to get it. So, you know, how are, how is a newspaper or, you know, online one going to really make money? You know, ads is, really the only thing left and you know then like you mentioned esports insider and esports observer they host these networking panels and you know create content and it kind of do these on-demand coe kind of informative panels so they're using their platform in other ways you know not just a traditional this is what happened today this is the new investment this is how much it is you know they're trying to diversify and create more engaging content working panel and the award sort of thing where you host your own awards when you get that amount of like uh power or like uh respect in a place where you're like oh here's like adweek does an award show that's where a lot of money comes from for these legacy legacy companies because there's just not a ton of revenue people aren't paying for subscriptions as much anymore people don't want to pay around to get around paywalls to your point like it's really difficult to make the argument that hey this content is so much better than what you get somewhere else and then you know even if online ads aren't even that lucrative and if you they get blocked because half the internet uses an ad blocker then you get no money for them so it's it's tough out there for sure for uh, online publications. There's just not nearly as much revenue as people used to pay for broadcast or print news. It's with the internet. There's people are paying way less and they expect to get it for free. Right. It's like, this is kind of the generation that's used to just opening up their computer and getting everything they need right there. And then, and oh, well, I got to spend nine ninety nine a month in order to read this. I'm good. Absolutely not. No, I'm not going to pay for that. Why would I pay for that when I can just get it here or I can put it into a different thing or I can open up an incognito window or I can use a VPN? It's like there's so many ways of getting around a paywall that it's... But we don't suggest any of this infringement. We are no, protectors no. of the copyright and author's rights and everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm a journalist, so please don't use anything I just said at all, <laughs> yeah. ever. <laughs> So but, what do you think the future of, you know, esports journalism? Where are we going from here? Luckily, there's always going to be stories and there's always going to be people willing to read the stories. So I do think we see, you know, a lot of companies are going to fail for sure. But esports isn't going away. More people are going to be reading the content, looking for the content and more publications are going to be picking it up. So I think we see more and more main publications start writing about esports. And as this, like some of the like 
purely esports driven places might fall away a little bit. Now there will always be a demand for it, but you know, places like Launcher can come in and suddenly everyone's going to their content. And why would you go to this other one? And so when the big dogs start to play, it's going to push out some of the smaller companies and it'll all be about, you know, finding your niche, figuring out what content you're producing that nobody else can. And that's really the goal of it. But I do think we just see a lot more mainstream adoption of esports and gaming content. And I think that has been accelerated a lot by COVID-19 as there's just no other game in town. Like gaming led the LA Times front page of the sports section. I think either today or yesterday. It's probably, <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened before, ever. but that's a, that's a big get for gaming and the uh, public faces of gaming. Okay, so, you know, I like to end each episode with, you know, my three favorite questions. So what's your favorite game to watch? Like 100%. I love Rocket League. Huge huge RL guy and I think it's like the esport that has the most possibility of going purely mainstream as a sport. Why would you why do you feel that way? It's the only esport that really straddles the line between sports simulation which are too much like traditional sports so that we've seen a lot of success from them now because sports aren't on and people are watching them in replacement of sports but you can't get rocket league but it's understandable to a mainstream audience so you could throw rocket league on espn for example and somebody flipping the channels might be like what is this but if they watch it for three minutes they can figure out what's going on and very few Uh esports are like that it's non-violent so it's played in a lot of colleges it was part of the like intel olympics run-up deal for this exact reason because it's not so violent as call of duty or csgo and it's not as confusing as a game like overwatch or league of legends uh to a person who doesn't understand how the game's played so i think rocket league really exists in that niche and we're seeing a lot more game developers create games like rocket league but it's by far the biggest one in its genre so what's your favorite game to play Uh, I'll I'll go something different, but I'll I'll say uh, Hearthstone Battlegrounds. I love the auto battler, the the card game genre. It's kind of like a a brain game a little bit in the strategy. Mm -hmm. And I like that it's me versus another person. There's no chat. It's I find like ranked play to be very tilting in a lot of esports. And if I'm doing this in my free time, I don't want to be tilted out of my mind. (laughs) I'm frustrated for people who aren't (laughs) aware of what tilting means, but uh I like Battlegrounds because it feels like just a, you know, it's a, it's very RNG dependent, but there's a lot of strategy in it. I think it's fun. It's something you could do while you do something else as well. So I'll go with Hearthstone Battlegrounds there. Okay. So, you know, who's your favorite video game character? Mario, Luigi, Pikachu, you know, anyone? It's really tough. That's really tough. Um, go with Valco because I loved Super Smash Bros. Melee and I love the Star Fox games and Valco mm-hmm. was my main. I played you know hundreds upon hundreds of hours with my man Valco and yeah that's uh, definitely just the spiking somebody with Valco in, in Melee is like the best feeling you can have in, in competitive video games so I'm going to go with Valco. Okay so you know thank you so much for joining us Mitch. So tell us where everyone can find you. 
Find me, uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mitch underscore Reams, R-E-A-M-E-S. I post most of my articles there. You can read my work at Adweek. Starting at Esports Insider, actually just signed the contract today to produce three feature stories and some news articles for Esports Insider. So you can go check them out as well. And then listen to the Esports Network and the Esports Minute. They're on every single major streaming platform. I appreciate if you listen. Let me know. I hope to hear who are listening to the shows and uh if you're a guest and you want to come on hit me up i'm always happy to talk to new people awesome you know so thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on twitter justin jesq make sure to check apple podcast for all our past episodes Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.